The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is an author, speaker, and advisor helping entrepreneurial experts make better decisions. David C. Baker is the Principal Consultant at Recourses Inc., which is a consulting firm that provides individual consulting, seminars, speaking, and writing for firms in the marketing industry. David and his team help their clients manage transitions and obstacles with their design, advertising, public relations, and interactive marketing efforts to achieve success by providing objective expert advice that has been developed from working with hundreds of firms since 1994. David is also the author of The Business of Expertise, which led to the New York Times describing him as the expert's expert. Okay, here is my interview with Principal Consultant at Recourses, Inc., David C. Baker. David, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. I've been excited about this and looking forward to it. I can't wait to see where we go. It's an honor and a privilege. And what can I say? You're the expert's expert, and we've never had an expert expert on the show before. (laughs) Well, we're positing that at the moment. We'll have to let everybody decide if that's true by the end of this thing. Well, we've got about 25 minutes to prove it. Let's uh, start off by talking a little bit about your background. Tell me how you got into marketing. I wish I had this glorious story where I won a contest and then was funded or something, but it's nothing quite that unique or exciting. I should back up to say I grew up in Guatemala. My parents were medical missionaries, so we lived with this tribe of Mayan Indians. We had no electricity, no running water, no roads. So my introduction to marketing back then was with a real mercado or a market where on every Sunday morning, all of the farmers would come into town and they would trade the extra things they had for something else they needed that somebody else made. Anyway, I came to the U.S. when I was um, 18 and lived here, went through school, went through grad school. About halfway through grad school as a four-year program, I was flipping through the paper one night at the same time that I was a little bored with this graduate program. And I said to my wife, these ads really suck. They're just so poorly done. How hard could this be? And I thought, well, I'll just make a little bit of extra money on the side doing this. Didn't have any experience in a marketing firm, but just realized that as somebody who was in communications at the time, that this really could be a lot better. 
and decided to launch a firm. It over five years that grew into a very small, still 16-person firm, and I really loved what I was doing. I learned on the job, obviously, made all kinds of mistakes, but it was relatively successful. And that was the first stage of all of this thing. It From there, it took another step to advising other firms, but that was another sort of accidental step on my path as well. So before we get into you know moving from actually doing consulting to advising consultants, I, I want to go back to the beginning. Your first marketing experience was actually in a Mercado. Talk to me about what you learned, you know, working in obviously the opposite of technology-driven marketing, but like not low-tech, but no-tech marketing. How did your background and some of the experience you had in that environment help teach you some of the lessons that are useful for marketing today? Such a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that question, but it's fun to think about how to answer it because you're exactly right. It wasn't low-tech. It was no-tech at all. Just recognizing one of the early principles of specialization. So let's say I live on a hillside that's not conducive to raising cattle or goats or something, but maybe I can grow corn on this hillside. So I'll grow a lot of corn. I'll grow more corn than I need. And then there are a lot of things I need that I can't do for myself. Maybe I want to buy some meat or maybe I want sandals or something that's made from the cowhide of what we're going to eat later, right? So then I would go to the market on Sunday morning and I would trade all the extra things that I had for the things that I needed, which if you think about it, is a really early example of specialization. It's deciding to dig deep on something that you're really good at and then exchange that for something that you're not good at. In our world, we exchange the money we make from something we're really good at, and we buy the things that we aren't good at making for ourselves. And that was really the first lesson was the whole idea of specialization. Then you can also learn a lot about customer service, about discipline, about location. So you get there early in the morning so that you have the place where everybody has to walk by and they see your wares. And maybe that's an article. I feel an article coming from that question. Well, it sounds like we're off to a great start in talking about content marketing strategy. As as you developed your marketing skills, you mentioned that you went into communications. What was it that drew you into the field coming from, you know, the background that you mentioned working in obviously a different environment than where you are today doing marketing in the United States? Why communications? Why here? Well, the communications, I think, interested me because language was so interesting to me. We spoke three languages in our home. We spoke English mainly. I had two brothers, so the three of us, kids and my parents. And then we spoke Spanish, which was the trade language. And then we spoke Hanhoval, it was called, which was the Mayan dialect. And I just loved everything about language. And I love the connection between language and anthropology. What I should have done is looked far ahead and said, what in the world am I going to be able to do with this degree, right? How can I make money from it? Because there weren't all that many options. Now, there are obviously degrees in marketing, but a lot of people in marketing do not have degrees in marketing. It's something that most anybody can do. There's a low barrier to entry. Folks don't make a lot of money unless they're really successful at the top and so on. So all of that brought me into this field. When I realized that I was running an average marketing firm. I was better at some things than other things and worse at others. Like I was a worse manager than average. I made kind of average financial decisions. I think I probably did better strategy than other firms. Anyway, towards the end of that 
I had this really unique opportunity to write some articles for other people that were running firms. And that really appealed to me because doing the work of marketing came fairly easily, but making the decisions around running the business of marketing was a lot more difficult for me. And I thought I could help some of my peers by writing these articles. I wasn't making any money doing that. But anyway, those articles really resonated. And all of a sudden, I began advising other principals about this. What I found was that they didn't really need as much help with the mechanics, the technical side of marketing. What they needed more help with was how to make better business decisions so that they were making money, so that they were positioned well, so that they were working themselves to death, all those other things around it. And if you look at the marketing field, there's tons of help on doing marketing. There's not a lot of help about running a marketing firm. So that's kind of what led me to where I ended up. It's funny. I had kind of a similar experience when I started my consulting practice. I sort of discovered a methodology or a, you know built a playbook when I first started, not really knowing what I was going to do. I had been a marketer in-house and run the marketing department at a few early stage startups. And when I went out to hang my own shingle and took on some short-term projects just to pay the bills, I ended up having more repetition with multiple brands and figured out what I was good at to the point where I could specialize, helping people find their voice do their brand development, make the connection between building their brand and actually putting their marketing strategies together, and less on the, I'm going to launch this Facebook campaign and optimize the crap out of it. As you decided where you were going to specialize, obviously, you continued to build the Recourses brand, but you also developed a personal brand. Talk to me about running your consulting firm, helping other agencies, and where do you distinguish between Recourses and then the David C. Baker brand? I got to tell you, it's somewhat of a sad story because here we are in 1993. I'm looking for a name for my company. I loved Latin and I decided to make up a word called Recourses. And of course, the domain was available because nobody else would have bought it, I would think. <laughs> because it's 1993 and what's a domain? Yeah, right. What's a domain? And I could have chosen anything, right? And I chose this word that now the only time you ever see it is when people misspell resources. <laughs> anyway, I was trying to act a little bigger than I was. I've always been a one-man band, but I was trying to act bigger. So I wanted to name it a company and I thought this is a cool name and so on. It wasn't until three, three and a half years ago that I switched to my own personal brand and quit pretending around that. In the early days, it was important to act bigger than I was. Not only was I a one-person consulting firm, but I was in Nashville. And at the time, that was still a part of the uncool South. So I was really swimming against the tide to get people to pay attention to me. Unless you're great at marketing country music. Yeah, which I wasn't. I didn't even listen to country music. <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting path for me. And the early three years were kind of a struggle because I was making enough money, but I wasn't making tons of money. And mainly because I was having to spend so much money to acquire customers in those early days. I was paying for a $5,000 ad eight times a year, which was an enormous amount of money back then. And I was thinking to myself, there's got to be an easier way to do this that's less expensive and that's a little bit more sticky. And I decided, much to my wife's chagrin, that I was going to lease a T1 line. For those of you in your audience that don't know what a T1 line is, 
your iPhone is about three times the speed of a T1 line. So very, very slow, but it was $1,150 a month, had three servers in the living room. One was a web server, one was a DNS server, and one was a mail server. And I thought, all right, if I just build a website and if I just write what people will find to be useful content, useful insight, maybe they'll give me their email addresses. And then every fifth or sixth email, I can send them sort of a notice that I'm doing a seminar or I just wrote an article or whatever it is, or maybe you should hire me, something like that. I didn't know that was content marketing. Looking back on it, it obviously was content marketing. So back in 97, I still have all these emails. I started writing a weekly email. And now I don't know how much of it I can claim as brilliance or just simply accidental, but that was the best business decision I ever made. And it was built on technology, very simple technology, but the technology enabled this. So over the years, 30, I need to look it up, but I think it's 38,000 people have signed up because they wanted to get that email. And that completely transformed my business because now there's just never any shortage of work. Sometimes people will hear about me and it'll be two weeks later, they'll hire me. Other times it's 20 years. I just don't care what that incubation period is. So that combination of content marketing and technology enabling it has just completely transformed my life. I'm just really grateful for all that. I guess the saying is necessity is the mother of invention, or I'm probably butchering it, but the idea is that you're creative when you have to be. And it seems like that helped you specialize. At some point, you decided that you were going away from recourses. I actually have the opposite problem where I named my company Ben J. Shap LLC. And now whenever I bring people onto our team, it feels very personal. And they're part of the personal brand. I wish I had come up with something that was a little bigger because I kind of hamstrung myself. It seems like you have the opposite problem that I do, but you did find a specialization in content marketing. And I know that you've been a speaker and an author and you've done seminars. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. 
Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Talk to me a little bit about how you've developed your products as a individual consultant, even though you have your own brand and your personal brand. What are some of the products that you make and sell? Are you still focused on individual consulting projects or do you have other sources of revenue? The revenue comes probably in fairly equal buckets. One bucket would be royalties from five books. Six one will be coming out soon. Another comes from speaking either at my own events or keynoting events that other people have. And then the rest of it would be individual consulting. I like the mix of that because some of it I can do without travel. Some of it involves travel, which I enjoy as long as it's up to a certain amount. It's taken me all over the world. I really appreciate and enjoy that. It's also something that I've tried to consciously plan in the sense that I want to think about the purchase path of my typical customer. So I want to give them something really inexpensive and easy to buy. Maybe that's a book. That's typically the easy thing for them. And then once they start engaging me as an advisor, I want to sort of follow their career. So they might want a gateway drug at first, which would be a seminar, a one-day seminar. Then after that, they might spring for say $10,000 worth of remote consulting, and then they might spring for $20,000 worth of on-site in-person consulting. And then after they've been running their firm for 10 or 15 years, they'll be ready to sell it. So I was forced to actually build that muscle of understanding how to do valuations of firms, how to do merger acquisition work. So the idea is as an expert, I don't want to be in their face all the time because Being with them and working with them that closely makes it difficult for them to see you as an expert. So what I'd rather do is to bounce in and out of the relationship at key, really opportune moments where they have a felt need. And I can charge enough money for it to make sense. I can be more the liberating force rather than the occupying force. If you think about the two different kinds of armies and so on and have a relationship with these customers over 20, 30 years that sort of builds up over time. That's the way I've designed the business. Now, the people that I help, they are all running either creative or digital businesses. So that has enabled me to understand their world. You could pick anything as long as you stick with it, right? Maybe you change it every five years if the marketplace tells you to, but you pick something that you can stick with so that As people are listening to you or reading an article or whatever, they feel like you have a camera in their office and they feel like it's uncanny that you understand their world quite so much. You don't even have to have all the answers. You just have to identify with them. So that's how I've designed the way I make money to help model that path, I guess. Here's the sign of a great marketer. You figured out who your core customer was. You understand their pain points. And you've been able to build products that not only address the lead generation phase, low barrier to entry, come buy a book or attend a seminar, but you've added on products throughout the life cycle of the relationship. And even when it lasts 20 to 30 years to help you identify your problems, help you grow your business, and then understanding valuations and help you selling it. And if I could piggyback on what you said too, I'm trying to solve problems that are keeping these folks up at night. So they're more willing to listen. They're more willing to pay a fair price. They're more willing to spread the word that, hey, this person really helped me. You ought to talk with them. So I'm not solving problems that they could kind of take it or leave it to solve. These are things that 
are keeping them from sleeping well at night. That's been a core part of this as well. So as you think about the development of your personal brand, and I'll preface this with doctors make the worst patients. And from what I've found, marketing consultants have the hardest time marketing themselves. What have you done that you consider to be successful to help you cultivate such a strong personal brand? What are some of the ways that you've been able to get your message out to the right people? It's easy for me to answer that question because there's just no doubt in my mind that forcing myself to have a public point of view and being disciplined, so courageous and disciplined at putting that out there every week for all these years, that is the vast majority of what's helped me build a personal brand. And as I bumped up against times when I either felt like I wasn't being very innovative in my thinking or I had run out of good things to say, I would just step back and say, okay, David, what are the questions that you're getting asked where you don't immediately have a clear, articulated point of view? Write those down and then that's your homework. For the next however many years it takes, figure out the answer to one of those questions every week and then start writing on it. For me, the process is not to develop some sort of intelligence and then to articulate it. It just never happens that way for me. For me, the intelligence comes in the articulation. So I write because if I didn't write, I'd never know what I believe. I'd never have the opportunity to figure something out if I wasn't committed to constantly writing. Now, it doesn't mean that whatever you're doing has to show up in print. It could mean that maybe you're doing this thinking before you're a guest on somebody's podcast or before you're a host of a podcast or before you speak somewhere. But it does mean that you have to be so focused on a particular marketplace, whether that's a vertical or horizontal, that you're in this so much that you're starting to see the patterns and then you can start writing about those things in a way that resonate. And if you aren't committed to having a positioning that allows that to happen, allows you to see those patterns, and then second step, writing about it, then you're going to be solving the same problems over and over again, and you're just not going to be learning constantly. So in my mind, it's all about being disciplined and courageous with developing a point of view. A couple of different things that stick out to me about what you just said. Everybody learns differently. When I was in college, I found myself doing better in the courses that were lecture-based as opposed to go and read the book and then we're going to have a test the next day or a quiz about it. I always enjoyed and retained more information from people talking to me. I just That's how I consume information. I'm a better listener than I am a reader. Everyone is going to be a little bit different in terms of how they process and understand. And finding the way that you learn effectively is incredibly important, not only in marketing, in business, and in life in general. The other thing that you said that really resonates is when you're doing any sort of content business, the key is consistency. If you're going to be a blogger, you need to blog regularly. If you're going to be a podcaster, you need to produce content regularly. If you're going to write an email newsletter, it needs to be regularly published. And the more consistent you are, and honestly, a lot of the times, the more frequent you can publish, the better you are at honing your craft, giving your potential audience more ability to consume and share your content and the more that you're just going to seem like an authority because you're producing, and I'm not saying, hey, pump out crap for crap's sake, but the more that you're able to put in good work, the more good outputs will happen and the more success you'll see over time. That's the one thing that I've learned about running a content business. Seems like you've seen that with your newsletter as well. 
Yes, for sure. In fact, it's almost gotten to the point where I find myself getting impatient and agitated unless I'm writing. It's almost an addiction. It's really weird. But that habit has been so ingrained that I feel like I have to write even if nobody's listening. As it turns out, people are listening, but that's not the primary reason I do it now. I do it to sort of force down that sense that I'm dying inside if I'm not constantly thinking carefully. Something that's struck me recently that has been a little bit of a surprise to me, you may have experienced this as well. I find that I'm not all that smart when I'm by myself, when I'm not being forced to think or being forced to be in a spotlight, that all the ideas for good articles for me come when I'm either on the phone with a client or prospect or I'm in a meeting, a face-to-face meeting with somebody, and I'm just scratching something down furiously. Another idea just comes to me. And I don't ever have those ideas unless I'm kind of on stage. And it's interesting to think about why my brain works that way. But the point to me is that the risk-taking that you're putting yourself in, it leads to even better things. It feeds itself. The more you write, the more you realize you'll never run out of things to write about. It's an odd thing because from the beginning, people who haven't experienced that yet, their fear is, what am I going to write about? Or if I, okay, I come up with eight ideas, I write about them, and then what am I going to do? And it just doesn't end up that way. It just gets deeper and deeper, your intellectual and your content life. The more you use the muscle that is your brain, the stronger it gets. It's like any other muscle in your body. Yeah, it's a great way to think of it. So I guess the last question I have for you is when you think about expertise and the title and the subject of your book, you've been able to become an expert in helping consultants and marketers position themselves, scale their businesses, and hopefully get to the point of exit. Talk to me about the business of expertise and give me the Cliff Notes version of the book. Sure. So it's really written to people who are selling their thinking for a living how to choose their positioning so that that will yield to more insight that can be monetized, how to package that, how to act like an expert. In developed cultures, they expect experts to act certain ways and they detract from your expertise. They subtract from it if you don't act in certain ways. So it works through all of that. Essentially, in my mind, I wrote this thing as a passionate defense of expertise. I want people to make money. I want them to do good work. But what's discouraging to me is all of the stuff that gets done and isn't looked at carefully enough. And in the end, it's not all that effective for clients. I just want experts to genuinely help clients and I want them to get paid for that expertise. So this is really a passionate defense of expertise and how to make that happen. It was a lot of fun to write the book. Well, David, I appreciate the subject that you're trying to tackle. And honestly, you know, you help a lot of people that are in similar situations to the one that I've been faced with before, which is I want to go out and I want to be self-supportive and I can help people and I've learned to trade and how do I monetize it and how do I make the best of the things that I have in my head. And so I think that the pursuit that you're following is a noble one and I appreciate you sharing some of your expertise with us. Thank you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate the conversation. Some really good questions. It's been a pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to David C. Baker, Principal Consultant at Recourses, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about David, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You could send him a tweet. His handle is David C. Baker, D-A-V-I-D-C-B-A-K-E-R. 
or you could visit his company's website, which is davidcbaker.com. Just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening, head over to MartechPod, it's M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, the contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletters. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, or you could reach out to me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.